Let's do it. Take out your handout sheets. Take out your Bibles. Let's get rolling on this. We are in part 17 of our series through the book of 1 Corinthians that we entitled Practical Faithfulness. Uh, this morning's message is entitled Faithful to Your Gifting. Um, a quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you feel relatively comfortable and knowledgeable about the idea of spiritual gifts? Do you know about that stuff? Yeah, all right, so a good amount of you. Well, what I want to do is give you a definition, give you an idea on what they are, what they're not. So if you take notes, these are some things that you may want to write down, little hints to yourself that you can reflect on later. I want to talk about a quick definition here. Here's what spiritual gifts are, at least in in my understanding or my uh, knowledge base that I've received from studying, right? Uh, The supernatural enabling, the supernatural enabling the Lord gives you at conversion to play your part in the building of his kingdom. What does it mean? Well, in simple fashion, it means when you are rescued, when you are saved, when you're transformed into a child of God, he wants you to play a part in the family. He enables you in a supernatural fashion to play a part. You get a job to do. You get something that you get to bring to the table. There is no believer that does not have something to bring to the table. That's kind of part of how it works. Just like a dad would go, all right, so you're going to take out the trash. You're going to vacuum. You're going to do We all kind of do stuff to, to help out around the house and out in the world, right? Okay, so what, what does it look like? What is it? Well, it's a bunch of things. Spiritual gifts have many manifestations. One of them, it can be a supernatural empowering, right, of a natural gifting. Okay? That's mostly what you're seeing up here. So, uh, KC, Jake, worship leaders, is it possible that they could play music if they weren't believers? Sure, obviously. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of great musicians that are not believers. They could play excellent. What they cannot do is lead you into the presence of God without the Holy Spirit. What they cannot do is when they start to sing and play and you are engaged and transported into the throne room, that they cannot do in and of themselves. That's a God thing. Preaching. Uh, I was saved at such a young age that I don't really know what it was like, uh, Lance without Jesus. So it's hard for me to discern, but I could probably guess that the way that my personality is, the way that God built me innately, even as a human being, I could probably be a speaker, an emo- a motivational speaker, right? You know, you could do one of those kinds of things. Uh, Tony Robbins doesn't need Jesus to be able to do what Tony Robbins does, the motivational guy, yeah? So I could probably do that. What I could not do is preach something that convicts you in your heart. That actually doesn't happen. That's a God thing. When you say phrases like, Pastor Lance is staring at me the whole time, right? That's not a guy thing. That's a God thing. Or the, you keep talking right to me. This is really what's going on in my life. I don't know that. I can't do that, right? So that's a God thing. So it could be a natural innate ability that is then supernaturally charged, right? It could also be, and you'll notice most of them are, extra power for a normal mandate. What does that mean? Well, one of the gifts of the Spirit is evangelism, 
Are we not all called to evangelize? One of the gifts is wisdom. Are we not all called to pursue wisdom? Yes. But when you have a supernatural gift for it, it comes easier and there's more power that flows through and there's more fruit from it. It's just, it's a little easier for you. Make sense? All right, a couple other things. You want to write some of these down? Uh, I would guess many of you have spiritual gifts that you do not know you have for likely two reasons. Either it's because you never tried it. We're going to argue a little later on whether or not the gifts are for today, the freaky ones, right? The uh, prophecy, tongues, healing. We'll, we'll debate that in a second. Let's say, for example, just for the sake of argument, that there is a gift of healing. How are you going to know that unless you try to heal someone? You try to pray over them and, and anoint them and heal them. You wouldn't know that. That's not something that you would kind of feel at home. Man, I just, I just feel like I have the gift of healing, right? How would you know that? The other reason is that it's possible that if it's an empowerment of a natural gift, it's so natural to you, you don't even see it as a gift. Like, for example, for me, speaking comes very, very naturally. For you, let's say there's actually a gift in the Bible called helps. How would you know if you have the gift of helps? Maybe you go, I'm just a nice person. Well, the gift of helps is a supernatural empowerment that there is great benefit when you help somebody, that there's extra fruit that comes from it. You would go, that's just normal to me. It's normal to you. It's not normal to the rest of us, right? Okay, a couple other things. You can hone it, but you cannot learn it. You can hone it, but you cannot earn it. What does that mean? Well, the definition of a spiritual gift is gift, and gift means what? Free. You cannot earn it. Spiritual gifts are not a reward. They are not a wage for hard work. They are a free gift. Now, you cannot have a class on how to heal. God will determine if you heal. You don't get a chance to go learn that. However, if you do have the gift of healing, you can hone it. Let me tell you a story. Um, Peter and John, yeah, I mean, I've, I've shared this story before, and it's in the Bible. And a lot of us know us. We made it into a little song. Peter and John are walking to the temple one day, Right? They're going to the temple and there's this, there's this guy who can't walk and he's at the temple courts begging and he's crying out for money. Peter stops John for a second and he says, man, that guy needs our attention. And he said, what do you want? He said, I want money. He said, well, I don't, I don't have any cash on me. Uh, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What? Rise up and walk. The man stood on his feet and walked. Here's what you may have missed in that passage. It says, the man sat at the temple gate every day to beg, right? If you back up in Acts, it says that the disciples, the apostles, went to the temple courts when? Every day. How many times did they passed that dude? Why didn't they heal him last Wednesday? Why is it on a Monday? I don't know. As a matter of fact, John doesn't say anything. Was John still walking on and Peter stops? You know that awkwardness? You're walking with someone and they stop and you're still talking to them and then you're like, wait a second, where'd you go, right? You go back and you're like, what are you doing, dude? He's like, I got to heal this guy. Why? I don't know, man. That's the Holy Spirit downloaded to me. It's time to go, right? That ability to hone, to listen to the Holy Spirit, the ability to hone, to engage with God and receive downloads that he went... Uh, he goes by him every day. Hey, Lord, what's up with that dude? Quiet. 
Then all of a sudden he goes, and now. Why that day? I don't know. But Peter knew. The other thing is if you have a gift, you don't get to use it all the time or whenever you want. Why? How do we know that? Biblical record. Um, even though I can go out and I can preach, ultimately it is up to the Lord to whether or not he empowers it and creates it to be effective. I don't get to control that. Just because you have a spiritual gift, you are not sovereign. God is still in control. The Holy Spirit is still in control. He's the one that does what is necessary. Let's talk about the biblical record. Can we all agree, if you know anything about uh, Scripture, if you're, maybe if you're brand new, you go, I don't know what you're talking about. Can we all agree that the Apostle Paul had gifts? Can we agree on that? As a matter of fact, he had some pretty awesome gifts. Um, we know that one time a sorcerer, bad guy, gets into it with Paul. Paul strikes him with blindness. Wow, that's pretty hardcore. Uh, another story, Paul raises up a crippled guy. Another story, every preacher's favorite story, is Paul preaches so long, a kid falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. Right? And why is that our favorite story? Because it gives us so much freedom to go, I'm not talking long enough for a child to die, so calm down. Right? Even Paul the Apostle talked that long, right? He raises the child back to life. And you look and you go, man, this guy's pretty empowered. Hold on. It gets weirder. Acts 19.11, one of the only guys in the Bible through about whom something this extreme was said. Check this out. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That's hardcore. If you're hanky is healing people. You got some serious power. You know what I mean? There's another passage about Peter's shadow falling across, you know, or the, you know, this idea where there's superpower there. Now you look and you go, well, yeah, I mean, Paul was, Paul was loaded. I mean, he had gifts all over the place. Well, then why does it say that Paul had a thorn in his flesh, which most scholars believe to be some sort of physical ailment? No one knows what it is. He kept praying for it to go away. Did not heal himself could not heal himself, did not have any buddies that could heal him. Isn't that ironic? You're hanging out with the big dogs, right? They all have gifts, no healing. Then it says that Paul was despairing because his buddy Epaphroditus was going to die. There's no indicator that he went to go heal him. Paul was worried about it. I don't know if he's going to die or not. Well, dude, you're the one with the gift of healing. Why don't you go fix that? Couldn't. Then there's the phrase, quote, and I left Trophimus, who's one of his buddies, sick in Miletus, and I continued on. Well, wouldn't it have been nice and polite if he would have healed the dude and they all could have gone? You are not in control. You are in control of gifts insofar as honoring the Lord, but you are not in control of when power strikes. You understand what I mean? So therefore, even if you have the gift of healing, you don't get to heal everybody that you want. It's all under the Lord, your will be done, not mine. Make sense? Um, I want to be very clear that it is different. A spiritual gift is different than a natural ability that a non-believer could have. Someone that doesn't know the Lord. All right. Uh, people that don't know the Lord are highly gifted in all kinds of areas. They're brilliant in science. They're brilliant. In all these things. It's different than that. Now, are we supposed to submit those to the Lord too? Yeah, of course we are. We're supposed to use those for the kingdom. You may not have the spiritual gift of artwork, 
But does that mean you can't use it for the kingdom? No, of course you can. You may not have the spiritual gift of singing, but can you not lift up your voice to the Lord? Of course you can. These things are all to be submitted to the Lord, but a, a spiritual gift is extra, extra power. All right? Uh, last two things. This list we're about to read and study is not an exhaustive list, all that there is to say. How do we know that? Because there are four of them in the Bible and they all don't say the same thing. If you are taking notes, just jot these down. You can take a look at the list on your own. There are four such lists in the Bible. Romans 12, 6 through 8. You can take a look at that list. The one we're going to study today, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31. Ephesians 4, 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And actually the 1 Corinthians 12 is actually, this, this is incorrect, it is actually 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Okay? All right. Awesome. Uh, last thing, and this leads to the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, is everybody gets one, but I'm going to suggest to you the fill in the blank is this. Everyone has many spiritual gifts. The reason why that's important to accentuate is that so many Christians go, man, I got this one gift, man. I'm, I'm empowered to do worship. I'm not on the worship team. I'm high, I'm, 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 I can't do it now. Or I now have one spiritual gift and it's teaching and I'm not, God's not letting me teach right now. He's holding me in a pattern. Therefore I am neutralized or I have a gift and my gift is supernatural in the area of whatever. And my church doesn't engage with that. So now I'm useless to the kingdom. Stop. Hold on a second. First of all, you are not. You have multiple, many ways that God is coursing through you to build the kingdom of God. He has many, many creative ways that he's using you to be valuable right here, right now. We cannot get locked into this idea that God only has one thing that we can do. And what if we missed it? What if we never developed that gift and then all of a sudden we're in trouble and God's mad at us, right? Hold on. God knows how to get stuff done through you. He's pretty good at it because he's the one in charge of getting things done. Turn to me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll go verse 1. We're going 1 through 11 this morning. Paul is continuing on. Remember last time we talked, he beat up on everybody about how they were handling communion. Remember that? Uh, it's kind of like the scariest communion message you've ever heard. It's kind of one of those. All right. So chapter 12, verse one, let's read through it. Paul says now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit to the, for the common good for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith 
by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills well that's awfully controversial does he still do that huh it's interesting because a big portion of our congregation says yes a big portion of our congregation says no wow that's gonna tick somebody off isn't it oh well let's pray <laughs> heavenly father thank you for your incredible grace and kindness lord to allow us to sit under your leadership that father that even whatever the pastor says today lord whatever i i share from my heart that's outside the word father it is to be taken as man's word Lord, we are not interested in what man have to say. We are interested in what you have to say. And therefore, Lord, would you help us to filter and sift and discern all that is said through your word? Would you lead us to truth? Would you lead us to what is right? Would you help us to have supernatural insight into your word that it becomes obvious and clear to us that we could implement that and be who you desire us to be? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's zoom back to verse one. Let's tear it apart. Yeah, let's talk about it now. Meaning you had a bunch of questions and letters. You've asked me a bunch of questions, Paul said, and as you're kind of distant pastor, I'm not with you right now. I was with you for a while, but I'm traveling now and you had some questions. I left some hardcore guys to watch over you, but you really wanted to know a little bit more about some things. I, we talked about how you screwed up communion. Uh, so I've been a little bit harsh on you, but let's talk about spiritual gifts for a second. Now concerning the spirituals. That's actually what it says in Greek. It doesn't say spiritual gifts. That was added in later in context. As a matter of fact, uh, some commentators believe that when it says spirituals, it means let's talk about the spiritual people, meaning the ones who everyone's looking at and going, you're spiritual, you're super spiritual. Is that possible? Yes, not likely. It is more likely that he's referring to spiritual gifts. Why? Because he's about to list them. Kind of makes it easy, right? Now, Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, why is that phrase important? Because he just beat up everybody. When you beat up everybody, you need to kind of come back full circle and go, hey, listen, just because I'm disciplining you doesn't mean I don't like you. Just because I'm disciplining you doesn't mean that I don't think that I'm also one of you. So he uses this phrase brothers to tie everybody in together, right? He's not trying to be arrogant. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Oh, that's a rebuke. As a rebuke to some of us. Why is that? Well, because what he just said was ignorance is not okay. You go, well, what do you mean? I mean that so many of us are tempted to do this. I get it. Jesus died for me, right? I raised my hand. Woo. Walk to the front of the aisle, right? I get it. Okay, so I received Jesus in my heart. I'm going to heaven. Yay, look at me. Okay, so I really have zero interest in the whole theology thing. What are you going to tell me? Well, are you going to try to convince me more that Jesus died? I know that. I don't really want to get into this whole thing. What, are we going to now make it academic and blah, 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 right? And you're going to talk to me about how the Trinity works. Okay, there's a Trinity. I get it. All right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whatever. I don't need any of that stuff. Seriously? Is that really, you're okay with that? Well, guess what? The Bible's not. Grow up. Learn. Put effort into it. Is it like school? Yeah, it is. Why? Because that's how we learn to do life is to go through school. How do we learn to do spiritual things? How do we learn to do biblical things? How do we learn to submit to the Lord? 
school. It's kind of why we're being trained up. That's the idea. You are not allowed to be ignorant because at some point someone's going to see you're a believer and they're going to ask you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And you don't know what the heck you're talking about. And you've completely derailed everybody and told bad things about God. The only way you can remain ignorant and not devastate the world is if you're an underground Christian that no one can ever tell you're a Christian. And then I'm missing why that's valuable. You know, salt and light if no one knows, right? Hmm. I don't want you to be uninformed. Verse 2. Now, he's going to talk to what most scholars believe is multiple groups in the church. He's going to talk to the Gentiles first. Remember, they were mixed. Gentile, Jew, right? He says, now, you know that when you were pagans, pause, the word is actually Gentiles. Why do they write pagans? Because it's going to talk about Gentiles being in a secular world, serving in a pagan religion. So they're called Pagans, right? Makes sense. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. What does that mean? It means that for someone who does not have Jesus Christ in their life, does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, you are free game to the enemy. He can mess with you. He can move you around. He can do anything he wants. Why? Because there's no one running your home. And so you were being led astray. But the whole way that you were going, the path you were headed down, the location you were going to, was ultimately to a God that isn't real. You were being led to something that cannot speak into your life, to something that cannot change you. It was powerless. You were being led down a pathway of chaos. You were being led down a pathway of destruction. However that worked out for you, I don't know. You want to call it my friends led me astray or this happened or that. I don't know what you want to call it. My family was dysfunctional. Whatever it was, you were being led down a dead end road. He said, therefore, I don't want you to be wandering like that. I want to talk to all of you, but let me address the other group. I want you to understand something about how to sort this out, about how to live. Right, wrong, good, bad, that kind of stuff. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. You look and you go, what? Paul, I'm not quite sure you needed to express that. That's kind of obvious, right? Yeah, clearly, no one that's totally into God says that Jesus is cursed. Hold up. People were saying that. They were religious. Who were they? The word is not a curse. The word is a Jewish term. Anathema. Anathema was a well-known term that was used in the Old Testament for that which is devoted to God for the purpose of destroying it completely. Why would anyone in a religious circle that claims to follow God say that Jesus is anathema, that Jesus is cursed? Um, The Jews. Why? Because that's what they said in their synagogue. It's recorded. That's how they would train it. As a matter of fact, Paul used to be who? Saul. And guess what he would make Christians do? Say that Jesus is anathema. His point was saying this. Jews, I understand that we're talking about the Messiah through the Jewish people. But ultimately, the Jews stop and they have a stumbling block with Jesus. What's the stumbling block? The cross. Why is that a problem? 
because in the Old Testament, it says anyone that hangs on a tree is what? Curse. Oh, look, there's the phrase. They understand why that's a problem for them. They go, that's why he's not the Messiah. Don't you get it? It says right in the Old Testament, anyone that hangs on a tree, that's why the dude was on a tree. It was God's way of saying he's not legit. He's cursed. Now we know it was that he hung on a tree to be cursed for our sins that that was the idea, but they weren't tracking with that. And so they were saying he's bogus. He's not the Messiah that you think he is. So you need to back away from that whole Christian thing and please return to your roots. He said, I know they have spiritual authority over you. You grew up with them. What I'm telling you is no one that's connected to God ultimately will say that Jesus is cursed. And no one can say and mean it. Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Lord is a big term. Now, you could use it in in the old world to just mean sir. But Paul's using it in a different way. As a matter of fact, have you noticed that in your Old Testament, you'll keep seeing the, the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Why? Why? What is that? What does that stand for? The personal name of God, Yahweh. So why is it called Lord? Because the Jews, out of respect for the personal name of God, didn't want to write it down or say it. So they used the phrase Lord. The highest name they could come up with, the highest title they could come up with to fit in the gap for Yahweh was Lord. So to the Jews, Lord was the highest. In the Roman Empire, Caesar was reigning. And Caesar said, I run everything. I am deity. I am your supreme ruler. Therefore, once a year, all Roman citizens will take a pinch of incense, throw it in the fire and say, Caesar is curios. Caesar is Lord. So understand whether you're pagan or you're Jew, Lord is a big term. No one can say, Jesus is my ruler, my savior, the one I submit to, the one that controls my life, my everything. No one can say that and mean it unless the Holy Spirit draws him. No human being is ever going to come up with the idea that it's a good idea to submit to the Lord. The Holy Spirit will move upon them. Then they will have their eyes opened. Does that make sense? All right, good. By the way, I say that a lot. Does that make sense? And literally, this is what I see. And I just keep going. I didn't, uh, you know, if I really waited for an indicator, we'd kind of be here for a while. So... Uh, it's not like, so yeah, yeah, it's not like somebody is like, I'm with you, man. You know, it's, there's, there's none of that. I just keep rolling as if somebody did say something. It's a pretending game is what I'm doing. Uh, there's a lot said in the Bible about discernment. What he just gave was people have abilities to discern what was right and wrong. Why? Cause life is complicated. Church is complicated. Spiritual stuff is complicated. We end up asking the question a lot, man, was that me or was that God? Was that the Lord or was that the devil was that because things are it's over our heads so the Bible talks a lot about stay close to me listen for my voice I'll help you discern we're up at the elder retreat last couple days all nine of us and one of the things that we talked about was you guys we have to pray heavily primarily in one area what is that what's God saying because that's the only question that matters right it's not strategy it's what is God downloading so our job is to try to get close to the Lord and discern his voice. That's what matters, right? 
pick it up at verse 4. Now, there are varieties, many kinds, diversity of gifts. There's lots of free presents that God gives us to do cool stuff. But understand, no matter how various those are, there's the same spirit. It's just one Holy Spirit that's, that's sending those out. There are varieties of service. What service mean? Well, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. That is diakonos in Greek. That is where we get the phrase deacon. So if you go, if you go old school into some of the dominations, you'd have elders and you have deacons. What do deacons do? They carry out the work of God in a practical fashion. We call them ministry team leaders here, right? They're, they're our deacon board, men and women. Make sense? Now, there are varieties of service, but the same, Lord. There are varieties of activities. There's a lot of ways you can minister to somebody else. There's a lot of ways you can bring the love of Jesus in a practical way. But it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I think we're kind of getting that whole all everyone feel, right? Is everybody getting that one? It's kind of a unity thing. And the purpose of saying that is that we have a very hard time looking at other denominations or other churches and realizing they're our family. We keep going, they're another family. No, 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 they love God. No, I get that, but they're part of another family. Hold up. No, they're not. They're our family. We only have one family. God doesn't have separate families. He actually has one family. There's one bride. And we've talked about that a lot this year, right? Unity is incredibly important. And we're being pushed in that way. We need to unify with other churches. We need to make it one family again. I think one of the reasons why we're Bridgeway, apparently, is because we need to build a bunch of those, right? To a bunch of other churches and begin to represent the face of Jesus a little bit better because we're just not. We're splintered. Does that make sense? <laughs> just thought I'd throw that one up. <laughs> Here, yeah, now everyone's paranoid. They're like, I don't want to have that face. I don't want to do that. I, don't, <laughs> I get it, dude. Right? Um, what's interesting is that he keeps using the word variety. And I need us to understand that we serve a God who is infinitely creative. Um, if I would have created the world, first of all, it would look stupid. But if I was to create the world, there's so many other things that I wanted to make. I wanted to make a whole bunch of animals. I like animals. Um, but when it comes to nature, I'd be like, ah, I'll just make tree. Right? Just tree. Uh, it'll be cool. It'll be bushy and green. It'll have a cool trunk. Um, and it will be, people will go, wow, look at this tree. Right? Look at the leaves up close. They have veins in them. This is weird. Right? Everyone will be amazed by my tree. But I really just make tree. But did God just make tree? Uh, how many kinds of tree are, trees are there? Well, tons, right? Seriously? We need that many kinds of trees? Uh, why? Variety, beauty, it's what God does. The reason why that is valuable is that we have to be very careful that when we look at lists of spiritual gifts and we look at the Bible about how things work, can you please understand this does not contain God? God is bigger than this. That this is a sampling of God's revelation to man. That this is, really, this is all that God is, is a tiny little book? Come on, seriously? Please stop telling God what he can and cannot do. Stop telling God, hey, this is the limitations, dude. You can't, it says right here in your word, you can't do that. It's a, he's like, first of all, idiot, you're reading it wrong. And stop telling me what to do. I'm God, you're not. Right? We, we limit him. And then we go, well, God, uh, the thing you're doing through me, that's not legitimate. It's not a real spiritual gift. Hold up. Why not? 
Why can't it be? Because it's not listed here? Seriously? No, there's so much more to God. He, he knows. He's bigger. A lot of varieties. But look how personal it is. Verse 7. To each true believer. Not everyone that calls themselves a Christian. But to each true believer. Is given the manifestation. The extension power. The activity. The Holy Spirit in action is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to do what the Spirit does. For what reason? For the common good. You are not given a spiritual gift to get cocky. You are not given a spiritual gift to try to use it to hurt other people and manipulation and make all the money for yourself and not share. You are not given the spiritual gift to say, look at me, I got one, you don't have one. None of that is appropriate. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. What does that mean? For us, it means a couple interesting things. Number one, spin through the list of spiritual gifts in your mind. Tell me how cool they are when you're by yourself in the room. They are not. All right? Here's how it goes. You have the gift of teaching, but no one's home. Who are you teaching? Stuffed animal. Right? You have the gift of healing. No one's there. Who are you going to heal? Stuffed animal. All the answers will be stuffed animal. You following me? Is that useful? Is that valuable? No. As a matter of fact, if you remain isolated, not in community, you're not going to understand why you're built the way you're built. Your gifts don't make any sense. You feel like God's abandoned you. Your Christianity is boring and you don't know what to do. So the bottom line is when we all get together, we start to understand. And then when I use my gift, it ricochets off your gift, which ricochets off your gift. And all of a sudden it starts spinning and we see God move. Make sense? Here's, here's the other funny thing about that. Side note. The funny thing is, it's this group right here, because they're who I stare at the most. I'm going to start walking over here and just staring at you guys, right? Just to make you paranoid. Here, here's the other thing that it means. Everybody has, has one. Everybody's important. Everybody's valuable. Uh, let me let me give you an example on something about how I see the world. Um, real quick, show of hands. And if you raise your hand, you're admitting to being a nerd. I want to put that out front. Okay. Uh, how many of you are like me and you like physical puzzles, jigsaw puzzles? You like puzzles? Anybody like puzzles here? Right on. Cool. We're all nerds. Fantastic. Now I love puzzles, and here's what's so funny about it. My world in what I do for ministry is very loose ends. I work with people. People are messy. They never, it fully never wraps up nicely and all that stuff. So I love puzzles because it has borders. And I just want the border. And you always do the borders first, right? Everybody knows that. Do the borders first. You fill it in. You're like, ooh, this little yellow doesn't look like that yellow. It's got to be this yellow, right? And you're trying to move it around. And somehow it makes you feel like a more powerful person that you know how to do puzzles. I don't know why. I have a trip on that. And I'm doing this puzzle. And I'm like, oh, look at this. I'm almost done. And it's just a kitty face. And you're like, that was embarrassing, right? I took all that time. It took three hours to make a kitty face. I'm going to pull apart. That's ridiculous. Now, for all you puzzle lovers, let me ask you a question. How does it feel that when you get towards the end, you realize that your kids lost some of the pieces? Anybody know how that feels? You seriously worked on all that and there's all these, all these pieces missing. It, it screws up the picture, right? Welcome to being a pastor. That's what it feels like. Here I have a puzzle. And it looks supposed to look like Jesus and I got all these pieces and a bunch of people aren't utilizing their gifts and all the pieces are missing. 
And I'm like, Jesus, I know he had two eyes. He had two eyes in the picture. I don't understand why he doesn't have an eye here. His beard was a little more full on this side. Whoa, I almost fell off the stage. His beard was a little full on this side, right? Uh, but this, this group is not utilizing their gifts. They're, and they're not hanging with us. They're not with us. They're, not, they're just kind of drifting. You understand what I mean? That's kind of how it feels to be a pastor. Um, verse 8. For to one Christian, true Christian believer, is given through the Spirit, supernaturally not regular, the utterance of wisdom. A word of wisdom. What, what does that mean? Well, literally, it means the ability to apply God's truth to life. You go, well, we're all kind of supposed to do that. Yeah, but there's certain people that grasp stuff that we don't grasp. They're, that's really useful, actually, as a pastor. You know what I mean? If I literally went up here and said, okay, let's just read it. I don't really know what it means, but let's pray. That's ineffective. That's actually not, not helpful as a pastor. It's helpful to have this gift. And you're going to go, listen, this is, this is what it is, and this is how it works in you. This is what we put it into practice. You know what I mean? Uh, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. What is a word of knowledge? Well, actually, it is the, uh, the, the place where you can grasp the concepts and then wisdom shows how to implement it. Right? So they kind of work. They're almost identical. They're just two kind of sides of the same coin. Now, is it the word of knowledge that is in a lot of charismatic circles? Right? I've been around that a lot. Um, I, I've had that operate. I, I've been involved in that. Is that the whole, I got a word Meaning, I know something about you you don't know. Or I know something about you you don't know I know. Is that what this is? No, it is not. Is that legit? Well, we can all argue about that. I'm going to argue that it's legitimate. But it's called something else. Remember, these are not an exhaustive list. Right? It's not this one. This one happens to be literally a supernatural ability to understand and wisdom is how to put it into play. Okay? All right. Then it says, to another faith by the same spirit now we all have to have faith if we're true believers how do we know that because we are saved by grace through faith there you go so nobody that is a true believer does not have faith this is not what we're talking about this faith is radical faith this is faith of a mustard seed can move mountains you remember that part this is somebody that's locked in all in literally when god wants to do something he tracks down, and out of the group, there's a sampling of people that go, it will happen. Absolutely, I know. I have so much faith in God. And you go, well, don't you doubt? They go, no. You're like, dude, all right. Can't relate to you, but praise God. You know what I mean? They're the hardcore faith people where they just go, when God says something to me, I believe it. This is the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego kind of faith. You know, the I'll go walk into fire kind of faith. This is martyr faith. This is, go ahead, light the fire. What are you going to do? You're going to burn me alive? Bring it. You're like, whoa, I don't even know how to relate to that. That's powerful. There are people that have that gift. To another, gifts of healings. That's actually plural. To another, gifts of healings by the one spirit. This literally means bring restoration to, knit back together to cure. This is kind of the Peter Paul kind of faith, right? Where they could they could heal people. That's pretty awesome. As a matter of fact, I've told you in the past, I pray for this gift all the time. God has not given it to me. I pray for this gift all the time because of the amount of pain that I observe on a daily basis being a pastor. 
I do not want the gift for me because it will actually screw up my life. Because all it does is create disappointment when God doesn't use it. So I don't really want the gift for me. I actually want the gift for you. And because I don't know anyone else that's pursuing it, I feel like I need to fill in the gap. But wouldn't it be awesome, because God will probably not give it to me, he'll probably give it to you, so that you do something and I do something, and we do it together. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop saying that, by the way, because now it's not even, now it sounds like a jerk, so I'm just going to move on to something else. Uh, <laughs> to another, the working of miracles. This is part the Red Sea, bring the plague, shut the guy's eyes, cast out the demons. This is the dunamis. This is the dynamite power. This is the wreck the world, alter state laws of nature stuff. Okay? Walking on water kind of thing. Uh, to another prophecy. What does prophecy mean? It means to speak on God's behalf. And you say, well, speak on God's behalf like... Like about what he said in his word or like what he's going to do or yes, that is what it means. Yes, it means whatever God wants to say, to say it through you. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. There are some people that are locked and loaded on. They know God and for some reason he's given them a supernatural ability to go. That is not of the Lord. That is, and I'll tell you why. That's different than the person that's paranoid. You know what I mean? There are paranoid people that, that say, that guy gives me a weird vibe, man. He was looking at me weird. Or, okay, you're just paranoid, right? And maybe you're picking up on nonverbal language. I get all that. That's not this. Because a lot of those people just are suspicious about everybody, and they just think everything's a problem. A person with a gift of discernment can go, that is improper, and I'm going to tell you why. This is not acceptable. This is not right. This is not how God operates. This is good. This is bad. I'm just telling you how it works. They just have an ability to grasp that. To another, various kinds of tongues. What are tongues? They are languages. Like spiritual languages or like earthly languages? Oh, that's a big debate, isn't it? And as a matter of fact, chapter 14 is all on prophecies and tongues. So guess what we're going to dive into really heavy in a couple weeks? Prophecy in tongues. That's what we're going to talk about. But just understand, it is languages of some sort. Either it can be languages between you and God, or it can be languages that you need to express out to other people that you do not know. You do not know what they mean. All right? Whether that's you're talking Mandarin or, or a spiritual language, that's a, that's a big discussion, right? To another, the interpretation of tongues. It's hard for me to agree with you, and I don't know what in the world you're saying. All right, so let's hit the, let's, let's hit the elephant in the room. Is this stuff legit for today? Are all these gifts? Because here's the, here's the fact of the matter. In conservative Christian circles, you have camps. Massive camps. You have the, um, the charismatic, the Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, the, they all believe the gifts are for today. Then you got MacArthur's crew and Dallas Theological, and they say they stopped. And they don't mean all of them stopped. They mean all the freaky ones stopped. Right. And they can kind of parse it out and tell you what, which one stopped and they'll, they'll tell you why. So now both of them are great leaders. Both camps have wonderful, beautiful people in them. They're incredibly intelligent. They know God. They love God. So they don't agree on this. So what ought we to do? Well, let's look at their two sides as we close out. We'll begin with the side that says they're the cessationists. They believe it ceased. At the end of what's called the apostolic age, which means after the apostles were done, 
everything came to a close and it shifted. And what they're saying biblically is their greatest challenge. Okay. Biblically, they primarily use two texts, two Bible verses on why they believe so. Okay. Now, so there's some cessationists that hear that. Like, oh, there's a whole bunch more. Okay. There's two primary arguments that are made. And this is a simplified version. First Corinthians 13, eight love never ends as for prophecies, they will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Verse 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face for I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, you understand? It just said tongues will cease. You go, shouldn't that be a closed deal? What's the problem with it? When is this talking about? The return of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because it just said knowledge will pass away, and no one's arguing that knowledge has passed away. They seem to go the first two passed away, but the, second one, the third one hasn't. You can't do that. You don't get to pull out of verses what you want. The other problem is that it's about the return of Christ. We are not, we do not know fully this whole context of this. We're not there yet. So if it's going to cease at that time, it says you don't need it anymore because Jesus is right in front of you is actually what it means. So unfortunately, very, very weak passage on that one. What's the other one? The other one is Hebrews two, four, speaking of the apostles, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us past tense. By those who heard, while God also bore witness, past tense, by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. They say the past tense means that the apostles did that stuff, that, that age did that stuff. They do not do that anymore. Is that how we ought to read it? Well, that's the big argument. Okay, so some of the early church fathers, they would argue, uh, guys like Origen and stuff like that, not necessarily him, but some of the early church fathers, Polycarp and, and, and these different guys, Cyril of Alexander, they said the gifts ceased. So it's not like it was a brand, it's like a recent thing. They said it early on. You go, did all of them say it? No, but some of them did. So that's why there's an argument there. Okay, the other issue is that there's an inability to test it. You can't test it now. Because here's the problem. Hey, do you have, I have the gift of healing. All right, awesome. Heal somebody for me. Go for it. I'll record it on video. Let's go. Well, no, 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 that you heal that person through prayer. That's different. Because prayer still works. No one is arguing that the power of prayer is in here. Nobody said that God can't do supernatural stuff. I'm just telling you, you don't have the gift of healing. Do you understand how it's a circular argument? You can't lock it down. Tongues. All right, go for it. Tell me your tongues. What do you got? Well, I'm going to go for it in a prayer meeting. Let me record that. All right, let's go search. What, what language is that? What is that? Mandarin? I think Mandarin. You know what? That's not this either. Well, you know what? It's a heavenly prayer language. Great. So another thing I can't test. That's awesome. You know what? I'm not seeing the evidence in the churches. Meaning in these, you know, if you go in, you go, I'm not seeing a bunch of people going, I have that gift and I'm operating that. I don't see a lot of apostle type power stuff rocking and all this stuff, right? That's the argument. And then the biggest one is a conceptual argument, which is the reason for miracles is not to just fix broken stuff. The reason for miracles is to attest to the message. It's, to, it's a sign gift to say it's legit. So, for example, 
Of course, all of a sudden we have 400 years of silence. The New Testament kicks up. Jesus comes on the scene, the very Messiah and Savior of the world, and supernatural explodes. Well, wouldn't that make sense? Well, of course. God's trying to go, my Messiah is here, and I'm raining down on it. When the early church starts, Pentecost, Acts, of course it explodes. Why? Because the Jewish people have had... The corner market on miracles the whole time, and God's trying to say the Messiah is legit, and this is his Christian church, so it rains down on them. Once we get that established, we don't need that anymore. We get it. It's legit. Those are not necessary. We don't need signs anymore. We now have signs all over the place in the Bible. That's the argument. Everybody know that? All right, cool. Here's the other side. First of all, that the gifts would continue is a natural reading of scripture. If you hand someone a Bible and go, hey, read this, tell me what you think a Christian should look like. They're going to say they will do the miraculous. Why? Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says they won't. There's nowhere that says that they did stop. Those verses are weak. They're wrong in context. Just because God went through the apostles in that way in the past doesn't mean he doesn't still do it. Just because it's in the past tense doesn't mean all it's telling you is a story. Of course it was in the past. When you read Acts and it talks about what the church should be like, guess what you're going to think you can do? What's in the Bible? Make sense? All the way through it. It's the natural reading. The other one's an argument from silence. You can't do that. And then it says, leaders demonstrated it up front, right? We know the apostles. We'll all agree on that. But be careful that you think it was just the apostles. Remember when Jesus sent out the 72? They healed people and they cast out demons. That's not just the apostles. You go, yeah, 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 but that was, they, were, they went out with Jesus. All right, Barnabas did him. Well, he was kind of an apostle. All right, Philip did him. Well, he was an evangelist. What? Okay, yeah, but he was kind of a big dog. Agabus did it. He prophesied that the famine was coming. We don't even know who he is. You understand what I mean? And then here's my biggest problem with it, is that Paul gives instructions on how the church is supposed to use the gifts That would be rather silly if they were just about to stop. Why would you have a letter continue on instructing? Shouldn't you go, hey, you guys, this is how we need to handle it for the next couple years. Shouldn't you go, hey, you guys, this is kind of going to be bogus. You might as well just cut that section out because we're really not going to be doing that. That would have been nice to know. He says it with a continual emphasis as if we're supposed to figure it out. All right. At the end of Mark. There is a weird passage. At the end of Mark, it does the Great Commission, and then it says something unusual. Now, you're going to notice that there's a little line that says, the best manuscripts do not have this passage, and that's why it's argued against. All right? Notice it's still in your Bible. Mark 16:17. And Jesus said to him, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. A lot of people use that verse, right? I, I, you've, I'm sure you've, if you ever argued about baptism, there's... That verse is used a lot, but no one ever uses the next verse. And these signs will accompany those who believe in the name, in my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. They'll drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. He didn't say what group. And you go, those aren't in the earliest manuscripts, man. You cannot argue from a questionable passage. Let's say, for example, it's not original. Let's say, for example, it was an early editor that put it in there and that it's not inspired. Why do you put it in there? Why do we have an early editor putting that in there where everyone else ran with it? 
if that was not supposed to be legit. That seems kind of weird. All right. John 14, 12. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. What was the phrase? Whoever believes in me. That kind of sounds like whoever. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. All right. The biblical record actually is on the other side. Not all of the early church fathers believed that it ceased. Some of them did. But the conceptual argument doesn't follow for me. Just because he gave signs to confirm the gospel and the power of God in the past doesn't mean he can't do it now. Of course he did it. Do we not need confirmation of the gospel? Do we not need to see the power of God move? I think we actually still do. It's kind of important. And then there are many denominations and many churches that will say, actually, there's evidence all over the place. I saw evidence yesterday, and there was evidence over here. You see what I mean? Oh, dang it. I thought I had that. I already, I already got you out of there. You got scared on that one. I understand. Okay, so where does Bridgeway stand? Here's the truth. Bridgeway believes in the supernatural, period. How does it all work? I have no idea. I will tell you this. I believe all the gifts are today. All the gifts are for today. How they operate, I don't know. I understand they are abused. We are not hyper on one side. Oh my gosh, everybody has to fall over if I merely do that. We're not that. I get it. But we're also not the other side. We're not the, no, no, God can't do that. No, God doesn't do miraculous. No, God can't do this. No, those tongues are bogus. Blah, blah, blah. We're not that guy either. As a matter of fact, I believe we need to mature in this area and grow up in this area and we need to have diversity in this area. I believe that we need to absolutely engage with the Holy Spirit in a much more significant way. I think that we hamper him. I think that we shut him down. I think that we quench him in many ways. And I don't know what it means, but we're figuring it out along the way. You see what I mean? Yeah, good. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I, I finished with this thought on that, on that issue. Two things. Number one is why not more miracles? Why are, they not, why are they not happening more? I'm about to tell you this is my guess. Whenever I say that I have an opinion or my guess, I want you to take it with a grain of salt. If we're not in the Bible, forget it. Don't write it down. I believe that we don't see more miracles and gifting in our churches for two reasons. Number one, necessity. We don't need them. Notice that it happens on the mission field a lot. Why? Because there's desperate need. And in desperation, God does dramatic things. You guys, we are so spoiled, and all we do is run around looking for a miracle so we can feel cool about ourselves and that we have flash. Why in the world would God honor that? Do people still need to be healed and everything? Sure they do, but do you understand that every time God heals someone, it ruins the original plan? The original plan is you're supposed to die and go to heaven, actually, not be here. Why would he ruin the plan? Only if he was helping something else. We don't need that as much. Number two, and this is personal and this is a rebuke for me, not necessarily on you, although I think it's true. <laughs> you like that? Like I, like I did that? Oh, it's me. It's not you. It's a <laughs> I don't think we spend any time soaking in Jesus. I don't think we spend time waiting on the Lord. I don't think we spend deep time in prayer. I think that we run around in life and we want God to download everything to us. 
And I don't believe that that is honoring. I don't believe that we, like Moses, sit in the presence of God for 40 days and then he glows. I think that we run around and go, God, bring it. Come on, dude. We're, I got a lunch appointment. I don't know what you're doing, but can you please go, 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 go. What's intriguing is that I see that in scripture, God tends to force people to draw near. Hey, that's a burning bush. I should go look at it. Elijah in the cave. It's not in the loud stuff. It was in the quiet voice. Why? He drew him out of the cave. Every time he teaches parables. Why? So they get close and ask why. There's always a drawing. Now, if we get close enough, are we going to get all the special presents because it's a reward? No. All I'm telling you is we're kind of smushing what the Holy Spirit would like to do. Bottom line on that, don't take a man's word for it. Study the scripture and figure it out. Yeah, what I say may or may not be right. Last verse, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually tailored as he wills where it's necessary and useful. As we close out, we have given you some tools on the bottom right hand of your page that was handed to you as a QR code. If you have a phone that reads those, that is a spiritual gifts assessment for you personally. Is it going to tell you everything? No. Is it a help? Yep. That's all. It gives you a little bit of an idea of, oh, maybe God did gift me like this. In a couple of weeks, a guy on the video is going to be leading a class in discovering how God maybe has built you. It's called a spiritual gifts assessment class. And in addition to that, we went out to the Christian bookstore and bought a bunch of these so you wouldn't have to go there. We don't make any money off them. They're 10 bucks, I think. Discover your kids' spiritual gifts, because guess what? Your kids have them too. And how wonderful is it to breathe life into their spiritual gifts and encourage them to grow up in the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we are so sorry for telling you what you can and cannot do. Please forgive us. Um, Lord, show us. We want to honor you in every way at all times. That, Lord, we are fearful of crazy useless and we are fearful of quenching. And so, Lord, would you show us what is right and appropriate? And, Father, if you want to break out, break out. You do what you want to do. Be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.